0: Welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your hosts, Greg Larkin, Mike Turner, and Jessica Harris. Enjoy this episode and we'll hope to see you on the trail soon. Welcome, everybody. And it is uh, what, September 9th, 2020. Uh, This is the Mile 99 interview series. It's our 13th live episode and uh, we're Happy to be out there uh, talking to you all again and uh, bringing you another interesting episode uh, with somebody that uh, we're really excited to talk about uh, and with, and that is uh, Renee Elston jacobs uh, Welcome, Renee.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: <laughs> yeah, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, Mike Turner and Jessica Harris, and i uh, We'll be spending the next hour uh, talking to Renee and getting some audience questions and answers and such and finding out um, all about what she's been up to recently. And maybe you saw in, in the announcement, uh, she's been very heavily uh, planning and, and then executed a really uh, interesting and epic type of uh, fastest known time route uh, in the Sierras. So we're gonna jump right into that and lots of other things tonight. So, Mike and or Jessica, would you like to sort of describe what's uh, going on with our, our weekly uh, and biweekly weekly um, interview session?
2: So, uh, we started this when COVID started as a kind of a way to keep our community connected and inspired to share stories and share conversation and just to hang out for a while to see the faces of, of people that we love to see that we don't see. So, we started this uh, in, in May. Ultra runners, you know, and uh, it's been going pretty nice, and so this is it's going to be a great evening tonight too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jessica, you're going to be uh, hanging out with everybody on the chat and grabbing some great questions, and I know you've got some questions of your own too.
3: Yep, I'll be here. Send over your questions.
0: <laughs> All right, perfect. All right, well, let's get rolling. Um, First, I just want to mention real quick, um, the aid station has been really supportive of us uh, here in Auburn. It's uh, a running store with beer taps that I think might be able to reopen here fairly soon. Um, But uh, they've been really supportive over the months and just want to give them a shout out and make sure every time you come to Auburn that uh, you drop in and say hi, right on High Street down in Auburn downtown. It's a great place to hang out and hopefully we'll all be getting together there in the coming months again. So uh, tonight, uh, we have Renee. Uh, She's on the line with us. She's based out of Truckee. Um, She's a board member of the Donner Party Mountain Runners. And thank you very much to Helen, who's also on the line, one of our other interviewees from a few weeks back, who connected us with Renee and said, you really need to talk to her. She's been doing some amazing stuff in the Sierras. And uh, we got in touch, and here we are tonight. So I really appreciate that. Um, She's really focused, Renee is, on adventure running. And uh, she's set two notable fastest known time routes. Um, and uh, let's just jump right in. Um, so, you gave us a little bit of background information. Uh, you grew up in Bakersfield, um, as you mm-hmm. described, not like the most you know outdoor oriented place um, to grow up necessarily. But you did have some good influence. It sounded like from your mom, who was a, was a runner. Um, and was that like from an early age that she was interested in running?
1: yeah yeah so like high school she was just like that was her thing and it was one of those I mean I I can't remember if it was every day but I you know my memory is that she was like you know doing a run every day we lived um next to a a really really big field and they were just basically farm fields and um and she would just you know like leave the house and go running in the fields
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, so yeah, and
1: that's the trail running for sure is kind of, it's funny, I hear a lot of runners talking about how, you know, they it never really occurred to them to run on trails. They're just, you know, like road runners or whatever. And so for me, it was always natural, like, you run on dirt, that's, you know, stay off that pavement, it's going to hurt your knees, because my that's what my mom always told me.
0: So she was just out there taking advantage of whatever uh, type of surface she could find. It sounded like.
1: Yeah. And yeah. so, I
0: mean, even if there wasn't like a huge culture of outdoor activity or outdoor like running specifically, maybe like, it sounds like she just kind of made what she had available to her and and it was in her backyard and she just went for it.
1: Yeah. I know Bakersfield's not the most scenic. It's definitely not the Sierra, you know, it's not single track, but yeah, she was running.
0: That's great. <laughs> And so, um, you know, sort of fast forwarding a bit, um, it sounded like your, your real entree into really big outdoor activities was, was in college. So, I mean, was there just a gap there where you were just kind of, you know, doing school and doing, you know, growing up stuff. And then eventually you got to college. Did you meet people that kind of inspired you or what, what yeah. kind of got you into, you know, all the yeah. different that you went into?
1: <laughs> I know. I'd usually don't talk to people about, my high school version of myself
0: very <laughs> <laughs> hope that wasn't too touchy <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah it was very dramatically different that whole like you know trying to find yourself to the extreme mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but um so college you know is in particular some people that i uh, met and you know boyfriends in particular that i dated that were outdoorsy and and got me into the stuff and it was just you know the the passions blossom from there.
0: Yeah. Um, And I mean, this is, you know, multi-sport types of things and different from a lot of the people that we've talked to over the past couple of months. I mean, you know, we've talked to various people and several of them are on the call here. You know, maybe you started with like cycling or swimming or triathlons or, you know, road running or whatever, eventually found trail running. I mean, you were going right into like climbing, backpacking, I mean, mountaineering. I mean, these are, serious exploits that you can spend a lifetime on mastering. Um, And you've obviously incorporated all those things into what, you know, we're going to be talking about with your FKT attempts, but like you've managed to take all those things and kind of like mold them together to like bring to bear a lot of these skills uh, for what you do in the outdoors.
1: Yeah. And I've definitely learned that, you know, if I don't climb, I miss it. And, you know, if I am running too much, my body starts telling me, you know, you need to mix it up a little bit, you know, and, um, and I really have been attracted to, I mean, obviously the the FKTs that I've done have been a mix of running and climbing and mountaineering and, um, which is um, just where I find the most happiness for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you find that, like, is it difficult to get to the skill level you need to be to say, to be a, a climber, to attempt some of these things or, or some other things that you want to do climbing wise, um, and still be able to run enough or still be able to backpack or do other things. Like how do you manage the balance between all those things and be sharp enough in those different disciplines, I guess, while sharing the time across all those different, um,
1: yeah. Areas. And it, it's definitely tough, especially now with a toddler And climbing in particular is a pretty time intensive sport. I mean, if, if you've ever done it, you, you know, you end up standing around a lot, you know, you're belaying a partner and, and um, it's not the most efficient, whereas running is definitely the most efficient. It's like the best thing for parents to do to, um, if they are trying to save time and get a workout in. So um, yeah, the climbing is probably the trickiest thing to, to keep up with right now because of, just having a kid and not having as much free time. So um, like last year, I started doing a lot more um, solo stuff, which tends to be a little bit, you know, like you can, you're spending the whole time climbing. So, you know, like scrambling easy stuff by yourself or, you know, some gyms have those audible a devices and you can just like, just go up and down and up and down and up and down until your arms fall off. (laughs) (laughs)
0: and are you doing like a lot of that in the gym versus outdoors or how, how do you structure that for the climbing training
1: yeah well this year I kind of abandoned climbing for a number of reasons COVID was um uh just yeah you know climbing gyms closed and um and also hanging around at a crag with a partner and a ton of other people standing around is not necessarily the best idea so this year was actually not, you know, I didn't do any climbing at all. Um, but then, you know, like just doing third class and stuff, you, I still feel comfortable doing that. The easy stuff on the Sierra High Route, I didn't feel like I needed to like train for that.
0: Oh, well, that's a good place to be in, I think.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to kind of like um, just give everybody a little bit of background, I mean, um, you know, we're obviously very interested in, in hearing about the Sierra High Route FKT this year, um, but just about a year ago in a day, like you completed the California 14ers FKT as well, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I was reading the description of that today. And I mean, that thing sounds off the chart in terms of skills required. I mean, you're you're traveling, number one, between all these different um, trailheads and obviously that's in a car. Although some people, it seems like have done it. It's self-propelled, which is a whole nother level. Um, And so, I mean, the planning required to, to like efficiently get to all these trailheads and then the, um, the technical rock climbing skills, it sounds like you need to get to some of these peaks. Can you just to sort of like set the stage for the FKT this year? Like, can you talk about some of the prep you had to do for that one last year? Um, the mix of skills you needed, you know, the, the orchestration, the crew or, or whatever else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that one, I mean, if you're familiar with climbing grades, the um, I free solo to five, six. And so five, six is, you know, it's um, it's, it's a technical rock climb. Most people would use ropes and gear for, for that grade of climbing. So for sure, when preparing for the 14ers, I was climbing, I was, you know, making sure I felt comfortable um and strong on that kind of terrain just so that I didn't have to you know worry about my head um and and of course that's yeah yeah obviously there's <laughs> n- not as much difficulty in the Sierra High Route <laughs> as there are in the California 14ers mm-hmm. um yeah in particular there's this the the Palisades traverse is one of the um maybe the most notable sections where you're in um it's like definitely third fourth fifth class for you know just like miles just traversing this ridge and it's just really amazing it's one of those things that you know <laughs> it's kind of on the bucket list for people who like to do this kind of stuff
0: yeah. <laughs> so
1: that's part of the that was part of the fkt last year
0: can hey, you Rene, yeah Rene, Oh sorry, renee could,
2: like. Rene, could you quickly uh, for us non-climbers kind of give a little brief description of the classes and how that works. You mentioned the five, six, Yeah. just kind of a little breakdown of what that means.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So trail is class two. And then class three is when you might start needing your hands. And then class four is when you start having exposure. So um, it's maybe a little bit more dangerous. Like, you know, if you fell, you could hurt yourself. And then class five is usually when it's, um, you know, it's like, well, not necessarily a vertical face, but for sure, you know, if you fell, you would be hurting yourself. And most people do class five with, with ropes and protection. Like if you fall, you would have something to catch you. Mm -hmm. So class five is what you think about, you know, like (laughs) Dawn wall and Yosemite, you know, those, those sorts of faces, those are class five. And within class five, you have little, you know, like subsections, it's broken down into to lots of of um, smaller grades, like five one, five two, five three, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So five six is in the realm of you know most people use ropes and climbing gear, but it's definitely not at, at the point of which like Honold is climbing five twelve. So it's not mm-hmm. it's not you know it's not free soloing like Hono you know Honold's level, but um, Mm-hmm. uh yeah it's oh, that's, uh, that's good yeah that
0: makes a lot of sense but yeah it's, it's definitely not something that most runners do yeah like it takes training to do this it's not something you just go out
1: and yeah do. <laughs> yeah yeah and I built up over time you know I, I start with class three and get comfortable in class three and then start doing class four and then start soloing you know class five easy stuff you know and just build up over time
0: mm-hmm. and all these um these other disciplines other than running i mean the mountaineering climbing um i mean these are pretty heavily equipment focused types of of disciplines as well so i mean you've got on top of just your skill level you've got to be familiar with all the equipment and how to use it correctly and safety issues and all these other things and i mean can you talk about like how much you have to put into that aspect of it um just you know it's a lot harder than just going out the door with a pair of shoes on and you know your kit you know
1: yeah well, you mean when you're actually using ropes and yeah like, gear? And, yeah,
0: and just training yeah. that uh, yeah. that usage
1: yeah, well, in fact, that took me i mean geez, that was like i don't know ten or fifteen years of climbing before i start before I got there mm-hmm. of, of being able to what they call lead climb, where you're the one at the end of the rope, you know climbing up, placing gear, and you know if you fall you you fall. You know, however far above you are, about above your last protection, you fall that much below your, you know, protection. So um definitely, I don't know, it took me a while to get to that point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and yeah, you have to learn about you know you know what you can and can't do with the rope what's what you know where good placements are what types of gear is best in certain spots and how not to I mean because you can pull things out like if you fell on a piece of gear and it wasn't placed properly you could rip it out and and just keep falling so yeah there's a lot of with climbing there's a lot of stuff to learn but yeah being an engineer and <laughs> yeah, it um, it's a Cool challenge, you know. To like, there's a lot of math and physics involved, so it it, it definitely is attractive for in, for engineers.
0: Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, what's your What's your engineering background again?
1: Uh, I'm a structural engineer. Oh, okay. Or at least I was before I had a kid and and decided to be a stay at home mom. <laughs> okay,
0: good to know. Yeah, yeah. And we were just chatting before we all kind of went live about you know how. It seems like there are a lot of those engineering, analytical, science kind of um, types that are attracted to these types of problems. And, and there are yeah. problems out there that we can try to solve as humans. Like, how am I yeah. going to get from point A to point B? Or how am I going to get up that thing or use all the tools I have at my disposal to do a certain task? So, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to hear that from a lot of people we've talked to.
1: Yeah, and also just the FKTs that I've done, there's just been so much, you know, logistics and planning. I don't know if you saw, you know, like I, I really get into spreadsheets and stuff.
0: Yes, know, yeah. Like, All linked yeah, into so the got, trip report. <laughs>
1: yeah, I've got spreadsheets for everything, you know, how many calories, what type of food, how heavy my food is, what's the most, you know, calorically dense food to keep my pack weight down and, you know, every single section of the trail, what, how fast I think I might be. And, you know, there's, I I get crazy with my spreadsheets. (laughs)
0: Uh, I was amazed to see like your estimated durations and paces and things and how close you came on so many of those different sections for this year's, um, FKT attempt it looked like. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's, um, I don't know. It's, it's fun. There's a lot of, a, a lot of, um, problems to solve, I guess. I found, I I found lots of things to, to, to dig into.
0: Yeah. So training for these, um, just in general, um, you mentioned, I mean, you have a young child, you've got a family, um, work life or not, you know, I mean, life balance in general, it was work. Now you're, you know, you said you're staying at home, but there's all these balance uh, places you need to balance your life. Um, I know, you know, Jessica's got young children as well. Um, I was just wondering, like, you know, what, what would you like to ask Jessica about just balancing and training perhaps or anything?
3: Yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, when you become a parent, you're not the first person anymore, right? It is so important to take care of ourselves because if we take, care of ourselves, we take care of the small human. So I'm just wondering what an average week for you kind of looks like for training, um, and kind of how that works, you know, and maintaining a husband as well. <laughs> That's work. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and I totally get you. It sometimes it feels like yourself is the last priority, like down at the bottom of the list. But I realize if that happens too often, bad things happen, you know, inside me, but also in the entire family, <laughs> you know, so like taking care of yourself is absolutely should be, you know um, something that a lot of moms prioritize and i see a lot of moms um losing that and it's and and i think that's part of the the um you know just as women we tend to to do that like we're the caregivers we give every last little bit that we can before we take care of ourselves and so it's really um it's hard you know you you feel selfish and you also feel like you're not you know, entitled to take care of yourself. But, but that's something that, you know, I've um, realized is definitely, you know, you have to like fight that voice inside your head and, and, and make sure that you are um, working hard to preserve your mommy time. So it's, I only have one kid. (laughs) I don't, I can't even fathom, you know, Jessica, how, when you're, I think you said four. (laughs) Yeah, it becomes obviously comes a lot more complicated when you have four to deal with. But my my trick, like basically the fundamental trick that's worked for me is doing as much as I can with my kid and figuring out how I can get you know a lot of exercise in with my kid. So there were lots of stroller runs, but also like we go hiking in the forest. And when he gets or climbing up, we have like some little peaks that I've done with him. And when he gets tired, he gets in the backpack, and I'm you know, training with 40 pounds on my back all of a sudden, (laughs) you know, and, you know, just also little things like, you know, doing yoga while he's playing or um, the other really huge thing is he still naps. And so my husband works from home and he naps and I can get, you know, either at home workouts or trail runs and, you know, while he's napping, which for me is, I mean, that's, that's clutch to my my um training routine. And then there would be at least one or two days when I would get a long, you know, get a long run in, whether that be through daycare or through my husband just giving me a, a break on a weekend because their daycare were, was closed during the coronavirus. But that was, that's a basic gist of my training strategy. I mean,
3: I think, I think a lot of us feel that as moms or parents that um, you just have to look at your whole week and go, where do I have this, and where can I fit it in? And then yeah. daily, you go, oh, I see thirty minutes, and you have yeah. to. This is what I'm doing right
1: now. <laughs> yeah, grab it. Well, and the other thing that I've really, um, I've I've gotten into as being really a key for me is meditation on a regular basis. And I've learned, you know, you don't have to like find sixty minutes to sit on a cushion in a dark room and meditate. You know, you can meditate for five minutes before you get out of bed, or at a stoplight, you know, if, if the kid happens to be quiet, you can just like, just kind of zone out for a minute or two. And, you know, to like finding these little moments throughout the day, you have to, um, you have to be aware that you're trying to find those moments <laughs> and then sort of grab onto them and figure out how you can use them to your advantage.
3: And I mean, that alone is, is a job. Finding the time and remembering to find the time is a job itself. So well done. (laughs) You know, I think it's a good message for any parent is you just need to take the time because it's that trickle down. It will trickle down to the kids, you know, and it makes everything better.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like I'll be having an awful time with my son and I'm like, wow, this kid is such a brat all of a sudden. What's going on? And I realize, oh, you know, I haven't meditated. And I feel like, you know, I yeah. am at my wits end because I haven't taken care of myself. So most of the time when, you know, my, it seems like my kid is being the problem. It's really me that because I haven't taken care of myself.
3: That's so good to point, point out for all of us, you know. We yeah. We look inward to make sure that we are. Taking everything in, so that's awesome. Really good to hear that.
0: Very cool. Um, one thing I wanted to to jump into a little bit is um, just uh, focusing a little bit on also like we talked now about balance and training and that kind of thing and how you fit that all in and and uh, you know it's it's good to get those insights for all of us as as you were saying, Jessica. Um, and then yeah, how, and I'm
1: sorry, it's not just the moms. The dads take, need to take care of themselves, too. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's a group effort, and that's actually what I was, like, yeah. leading, leading into a little bit was um, as you're now preparing for, you know, last year's FKT, this year's, you can talk to either, about either one, I suppose, but just I'm really interested, and in, uh, I think all of us would be, um, like, what kind of prepping like does your family have to do and then also outside of the family all of the other people that it looked like yeah. you were able to engage with to help you achieve this thing.
1: Yeah, well so like probably the first step was convincing everyone that it was really important for me to for this to happen. Like I just you know knew how much um satisfaction and happiness I you know get out of these things. And so um you know, I think I think now my family has all figured it out. <laughs> you know, like doing this sort of big thing once a year um, is a is a really amazing experience for me, and they they all like to <laughs> support me in these endeavors. Now, um, my husband was in particular really stoked on the California 14ers because he, you know, I, I sometimes refer to him as my mountain man. He was kind of the guy that. You know, he he's a search and rescue guy who has a lot of skills and and taught me a lot about, you know, the mountains. And we did a lot of climbing together. So he was really excited that I was going to take on the 14ers. And so, of course, that him being passionate about the project helped a ton. Um, The Sierra High Route, maybe not quite as cool. It's not it's quite not not quite as glamorous as the 14ers. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it also didn't require as much training. So I didn't need as much from him. So,
0: mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then you also had to assemble, you know, multiple people outside of the family as well. Um, you know, what What are some of the strategies that you use to kind of like bring all of that, all of that, you know, person power to bear um, to help you? I mean, it sounds yeah. like, first of all, it sounds like you have maybe like a, a one big, push per year kind of cadence that you're thinking about. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the way that I've um, been doing it lately with, with a kid is like, I kind of get my one, it's almost like having a job and you have your, you know, your big two week vacation that you do every year or something. (laughs) Um, And yeah. And I'm lucky to know a couple of folks who are sort of um, retired and living out of their cars and just kind of doing the mountain lifestyle. And so they tend to have a little bit more free time and are also, you know, like Sean, who helped me with the the, the Sierra High Route a ton this time. He's done a, a lot of his own FKTs. He's um, very, very accomplished himself. And so he gets really excited about these projects and he happens to, you know, live out of his car. And, and um, so he was... <laughs> It's a little bit easier trying to find people that don't have kids and full-time jobs. And so I'm lucky enough to know, you know, at least a couple of those.
0: Yeah, definitely key. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, then jumping in um, to the CR High Route, uh, can you just describe what this is to everybody yeah. and sort of like the choices you had to make before you started it? Um, how much you had to, you know, prepare and and, and bring you know, out to 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 actually start it and do it.
1: Yeah. So, um, so the Sierra High Route, the idea um, Steve Roper created it, and he wrote a book about it, and he describes the route in his book. And it's not, it's it, there is no line drawn anywhere. He just basically describes waypoints. So you can't just follow a line. You have to create your own route. And every so everyone that does this this is going to do it slightly differently, which is you know exciting because you're not following trails, you're exploring, you're finding your own way. Um, It makes it really fun. Um, And his basic idea was, well, the JMT is cool and all, but you spend a whole lot of time down in valleys and it's not very scenic, or at least he thought, you know, there's, there's much more, there's a lot of scenery that it misses. And so he kind of wanted to do the it's like the JT the Mountaineers version, where you spend a lot more time up high, and you actually get to see more of the Sierra. You get to see, you know, a little bit more of the, the the views and the mountains. You get to spend a little bit more time in the mountains instead of just kind of being on a trail in the valley. So, a lot of the route, it's it's exactly half of the route is is um, off trail, and even when you are on trail, a lot of times it's these. Um, like these trails that aren't easy to follow. They don't have you know their use trails and stuff like that. So um, the the runnable trail is low, but but it's Roper did a really really good job of linking together some really fantastic cross country terrain. So I was running in meadows for miles, you know, just with a big smile on my face. There's no trail anywhere. Nothing but me and the marmots and the pikas. Or, you know, even sometimes running in, you know, talus that and, and all this, you know, amazing cross-country terrain. There's <laughs> when I did the 14ers, there was there was a lot of terrain that had me kind of just like, you know, pissed off and cussing because <laughs> it was like not quite as um as continuously pleasant. Roper did a really good job of of linking together some fantastic cross-country terrain.
0: Very cool.
1: So um You're on your feet a lot, but you also have to use your hands for some sections. You have to, there is a little bit of climbing. Um, And depending on how much time you spend with route finding, (laughs) there could be more climbing than than not. Um, I was trying to go fast, so I did kind of take some some more technical shortcuts (laughs) sometimes. But it's, you know, it's really fun. You can kind of find your own way. If you want an easier way, you just have to hunt and peck for it. Or, you know, you just can go straight down the hard way if you want.
0: Yeah, it sounded like you did that at least once or twice. I think, was it towards the end, there was one slab where you had a picture of and you kind of just went straight, not straight down it, but like pretty steeply down something versus like you could go around a different way. Right,
1: right. I could have like, oh, reverse track and gone around and gone the easy way. Right, exactly. But just for the sake of being faster, kind of just figured out a way to go through the cliffy section. Yeah.
0: So actually interesting um, thought that I just had about FKTs in general, and this is something I don't know, but maybe you do Um, for this type of FKT, where it is a lot of off trail and you're sort of up on your own, trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B, do they have like rules (laughs) about you just have to hit certain waypoints, or how, how would somebody like, how would somebody say, make an attempt on your record like do they have to follow exactly what you did or can they adjust as necessary
1: yeah you you can adjust so it's i mean it will depending on you know it might be like one person is like plus or minus 50 feet from somebody else or something like that the route is described well enough that you know you there wouldn't be huge deviations but for sure you know plus or minus 50 or 100 feet would be totally within, you know, you know, whatever the tolerance of different people's attempts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. still in the end going to be doing close to 200 miles, it seems. Right. Like. So it's yeah. Not yeah. Make a huge difference, probably. Oh, that's great. Um, so I know that you also had a little bit of um, uh, decision making in terms of the direction of travel. And can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I feel pretty strongly that it should be done north to south. Um there's the terrain in the Sierra tends to be um more technical on the north side of passes and and easier terrain on the south side. And so I usually tend to one because you're you know when you're ascending you're not usually running you're you know hiking or whatever so you tend to be slower on the ascent anyway. And then on the descent, you know, if you can run the descent, that would, that's awesome. That's faster. So it usually, so if you travel from north to south, you're more likely to be taking advantage of that. So you can kind of like run down scree slopes versus climbing up scree slopes, which is really horrible and obnoxious, you know, and then descending you know, a technical side. So you kind of would be slow on both ways instead of kind of taking advantage of, you know, climbing up maybe a more technical side, which the other advantage is that you can see what you're coming into. So if it is, you know, one of these class three sections where there's, you know, there's maybe a series of cliffs and there's a little ledge that if you follow that ledge, that's the easy way, but you would never be able to see that if you came from the top, and tried to descend it blind. So those are the sorts of reasons why I just. Um, there might have been a couple more. I can't remember, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, those are the big reasons why I decided. Yeah, north to south made a lot of sense.
0: Now, Mike's our uh, resident geologist here. Can you provide <laughs> yeah. any uh, color on that? Why why that north south like Talis Field versus Screefield thing would be going on?
2: <laughs> I've never thought about that, but I I did not. I stopped listening, and I've been thinking about that.
4: <laughs>
2: uh, I need to look into that because I'm interested to see why why the north side is more technical. Is it an erosional feature? Is it a yeah? Well,
1: sorry, sorry for
2: cutting it off. I think it, I think it's erosional because they're all they're all plutons. The whole Sierra is plutons. So the age of the plutons changes as you go north; it gets younger. But generally, it's all granite, you know, and stuff. So I, I think it's what must be weathering. But I'll I'll, I'll get an answer. I'll look into that.
1: Yeah, I was assuming that was because that's where like you have more snow, you have m- more, you know, glaciers and things like that. So mm-hmm. I think I feel like this, the snow kind of attacks the mountains a little bit more and makes them a little more steep and, and, um, that's yeah, technical The case. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So pretty big decision to make ahead of time. Um, and then. I know you went out for multiple reconnaissance runs, it sounded like, and these were, yeah. you know, daytime, nighttime, you're kind of trying to get the feel for the entire, entire route and different sections, not the entire, but like different sections. And, and how did you choose those different sections?
1: Yeah, well, there's um, the route crosses. So obviously where it starts and stops, those are roads, but then it also crosses the Tioga Pass in Yosemite. And then it also goes through Red's Meadow. So um, Devil's Post Pile is right outside of Mammoth. So that's, you know, campgrounds and roads and all that kind of stuff. So those legs were sort of um, easy, you know, obvious places to recon because you can, you know, um, you go from a road to a road. Um, So like one of the recon trips that I did with a girlfriend was from Tuolumne to Mammoth, for example. And then there were, another a couple of other spots where you just get close to trailheads and so those made a little bit more sense too to be able to just like do a run and you know run in and connect with the Sierra high route and then you know run the Sierra high route for a little bit and then come back to your car so the 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 recon trips they were also oriented around the places that were a little bit more technical and and um maybe more problematic so if I was able to do them in advance and figure them out, I would be a lot faster. And for sure that um, the recon trips helped a ton because um, I was able to, you know, I did all of this sort of like the pausing and figuring things out during the recon trips. And then when I did the FKT, I was just following my line. It was great.
0: Yeah. And now were you recording any of this data on apps or anything like that? So you could kind of yeah. follow things later?
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I've got one of these guys, which is like my saving grace out there. It has map capabilities. And, you know, so I, in Caltopo at home, I can draw my line and then upload it to my watch. And then when I'm out there, I can just like at a quick glance, kind of look at my watch and double check that I'm, you know, on my route or not. So, um, it makes it a little bit more mindless during the day, but also at night when you're traveling at night, it it becomes like just, you know, a lifesaver to be able to, for um, cross country navigation at night. Um, It's, it can get really tricky and disorienting, (laughs) as you might might imagine, when you don't have a trail to follow. So basically like my line on my watch is the equivalent of a trail for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I got to imagine it's a lot like, and I've never on a plane, but I know pilots fly by instrument and you know similar kind of concept yeah. I would think where yeah. you know you're out there and and you don't you don't really have that large expanse of, of viewpoint and right. you could probably just yeah within minutes like you're if you didn't have something like that get into trouble or get off trail or just get disoriented or something like that I mean so like did you ever? I'm hoping anyway that that would then like reduce any anxiety you might have about like, where am I, how far do I have to go? Things like that. I mean, how, how does that affect, you know, that thought process while you're out there?
1: Yeah, I know. And I know some people are a little bit more purist than me and you know, I, I, I love, I embrace technology and use it to its fullest extent and um, and absolutely also like at the end when i was trying to finish under 5 days knowing exactly how many miles i had left to go and exactly what my pace was and whether or not i was going to hit those 5 days i mean there's no way i could have done it well i guess i could have done it it just would have taken a lot more time to you know do those calculations in my head while sleep deprived in the middle of the night you know but so basically i was able to you know use my my watch to to hit that five-day goal and so yeah that kind of stuff like knowing exactly what your pace is and what your mileage is and 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 all of that i i I do find a lot of advantage in that yeah so some
2: some some folks have uh use a their phone for like a secondary device for like a so do you just just use your watch i mean you don't do bring a a physical map with you or you kind of you know the route well enough you just know you kind of generally know you have to kind of somewhat memorize on where your route generally is. You don't need a, a, a bigger base map or something.
1: No, I absolutely do have maps. Also, I have a um, I use so the CalTopo app is on my phone, and you mm-hmm. can download the, the all of the maps in advance. Mm-hmm. So I had my you know the Sierra High Route map that I created at home was on my phone. And, but I just didn't, because it's a little bit more tedious to pull your phone out of your pack and look at it. You might trip and stumble in a talus field or whatever. So I didn't use that as much, but that was my backup. And also, um, having the map on your phone, it helps you get a bigger picture sometimes too. Like it, it, you'll find if you use your, your, if, if, um, for people that use their watches like me, I'm sure also like, it's very small. The, um, you don't get a sense of, the surrounding terrain that's miles away so every once in a while when I do need to do route finding having that map on my phone is is super mm. clutch to be like oh this is the stream that I see two miles away and that's what I'm heading to and you know that kind of stuff mm. um so and then of course I have you know chargers and batteries and all sorts of things to make sure these these gizmos don't die
0: mm. yeah it's yeah. And- Uh, always important to have redundancy in the system. I'm sure like, you know, still, still having that ability to, you know, pull out something that isn't electronic or, or whatever it is. Um,
1: yeah. And, and, and of course, like I knew the some portions of the route really well, and I probably could have done it, you know, without a map or a line on my watch, the line on the watch just made me more efficient. But then there were some sections that were totally new to me that I've never been before. So I did, um, you know, I really needed some navigation at, at times. Mm.
2: I got another question about about the running part. Or I read your your uh, race report, and I really like you, your toolkit. I think it's yeah. <laughs> important. If you could go through, because we all and and we all run, and we have to, we get to those places where we're just down, and we need something to kind of like remind us about all these little pieces. Yeah. Talk about your toolkit.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, there's. I was just thinking about this on my run today. Um, I love he, he, research and science, and science has discovered uh, a number of things that that work really well. Like in particular, if you force yourself to smile, apparently, you tend to do better. Um, that one doesn't work for me for some reason because I hate. I like. I don't know if I force a smile on my face, I, (laughs) I, I feel, you know, like I'm faking it or something versus like, but when I do actually manage to like make myself laugh or if I can manage to, you know, make myself happy. um, Yeah. um, That is a really, a really amazing trick that, you know, you can completely change your mindset if you can manage to put a smile on your face. Um, So that one is one that I I don't use as often. The um, for sure, the number one top of the list is the breathing. And this is the one that, you know, I have to thank Helen for. Um, it's basically like a moving meditation where if you just focus on your breath and I breathe in for three steps and then breathe out for two steps. And I just try to continually do that and be aware of, um, you know, if I'm losing my breath, like if I, I don't know, um, every once in a while I'll find myself almost like, you know, breathing too fast or something and, and your heart rate, you know, you can, you can make yourself hyperventilated just sitting there. If you, you know, if you breathe too quickly and I find that, you know, if you um, continually are thinking about the breath, it keeps you not only your heart rate under control, but it also keeps your, your brain in a really good mental space you know it keeps you happier and also um just more capable of handling you know what might come so that's number 1 at the top of my list is is following the breath um the other one that i i really am, am, um i really really like is the mantra um do now right and so the idea behind that is forget about whether or not you screwed up an hour ago you know we tend to kind of beat ourselves up like you know, like, for example, I, I don't know, there's all sorts of reasons you can beat yourself up and then start getting in a really bad place and, and getting frustrated about how that's going to ruin your, you know, your time or whatever. And if you just continually tell yourself to, to let that go and just do now, right. Um, it's like a reset button and that one works for me really well. I just have to remember to do it. (laughs) Um, and then of course the other ones is, um, I find that I can have, I have a lot more endurance if I am good about my gait and my posture, like in particular, you know, using my core. And, um, if I bend forward a little bit more, like women tend to lean backwards and we use our, that, that makes us quad dominant and it leads to knee injuries, for example, And I can, I um, have a lot more endurance if I remind myself to lean forward, for example. And so that keeps my glutes engaged and my core engaged and, you know, I can run down hills a lot better and that kind of stuff. So there's the postural thing. um, And then the last one I think is the, um, well, is there another one? I know I can't, I think I've lost track. (laughs) I think those are the big ones (laughs) that I use a lot.
2: uh, I think one of them was your intake and output. Was that about your nutrition? Oh. Was that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times we, um, if we're not paying attention, we won't eat or drink. I feel mm-hmm. like it's like, you know, you constantly have to manage it in particular when you're doing, you know, five long days in a row, these multi-day pushes, you can screw yourself if you get dehydrated on day one and you're trying to catch up, you know, um, the whole time. So, you know, regularly checking in is important for me to, to maintain those, those really big efforts to, to make sure that I well also, you know, crashing it's, I find if I get to the point where my stomach is grumbling, it's really hard to recover from that.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's definitely a challenge for me personally. I know that, um, on really long runs or races, I tend to get apathetic towards the end of them. Yeah. you know, Right. I may still have two hours to go, but I'm just kind of like, ah, oh, I'm so I'm tired of eating. Like, I just don't want to eat. I'll be done soon <laughs> enough. You know, <laughs> that's just yeah. not a good. And so, I mean, you have to maintain just that, that mindset over five days. Like I'm not just eating for now either. I'm I'm eating right. for like tomorrow and the next day and the next
1: right. day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And along those lines, the, the nutrition, um, it's, it's had to morph. Like if you just run, you know, you can rely a whole lot more on sugars. Like if you're just doing a, a run for a day, but then if you're at doing five days, you know, your body needs fats and proteins and trying to figure out when you can, you can, you know, do fat and protein without screwing up your, 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 um, your, your getting GI distress, you know, trying to avoid all of that stuff can be pretty tricky sometimes.
0: Yeah. So did you have to have like literally a schedule then of different types of foods to eat when, or based on like the terrain you were going to be in? Kind
1: of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I tend to do the more carbohydrate, carbohydrate, traditional running foods on the uphills. And then when I, um, when I have like maybe like more flats or, um, you know, if there's some sort of a a slowing or a pause, like if it's a more technical section, I know that I'm going to be going a little bit more slower. And so your my, my body, like it can handle fat and protein at those times. Um, so for sure, I have to be like cognizant of what's coming up ahead and remembering like, Oh, you know, I'm in a, a flat section. This is a good time to eat, you know, X food and, and trying to stay on top of that stuff.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really good to know. And, uh, and maybe, you know, helpful for even somebody that's just going to go out and do an ultra race doesn't have like technical climbing, but just having an idea and maybe practicing too. I'm sure you have to practice this. Like when can I eat these different things and and what will my body tolerate at whatever output level and on all these things.
1: Yeah. And that's super tricky. Like it seems like everyone that I talk to, is like, you know, I would, I just did a run with a friend the other day and he said, Oh, I can't handle, you know, liquid calories. My stomach can't handle liquid calories. And I'm like, that is such a, you know, like important part of my strategy is having my liquid calories. So it's definitely one of those things that works for, you know, you kind of have to like figure out what works for yourself.
0: Yeah. Good to know. Um, One thing I just wanted to touch on really quickly, if uh, we have a minute before we get into some audience questions is just you're still in the recovery phase. You've been out two weeks now yeah. since you've set this FKT, an amazing effort, uh, a little over two weeks. Um, can you just kind of describe like your current mental state, physical state, yeah. and what you've been doing to kind of come back and sort of, I'm guessing like a little bit of re-entry shock coming back to yeah. the world?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, on, on one level, it's kind of like just, you know, any vacation when you're, you know, in Hawaii for a week and you come back home, you just, it just, it's just weird and bizarre, but um, I also had a ton of, um, <laughs> what you call them, <laughs> almost spiritual experiences during this FKT with just flow states and runner's high and all sorts of amazing chemical, you know, <laughs> like um, uh, exercise induced highs, lots of those. <laughs> Um, and those, you know, kind of lasted even after I came home, I was still feeling, you know, pretty e- just ecstatic and, and happy for a while. And then, um, and then that kind of, yeah, drops back. And I definitely had a crash when it was, <laughs> um, my, you know, my husband was totally stressed out cause he just spent a week at home with a kid by himself and, and he was busy with work and, you know, it just seemed like life was really hard for a little bit. You know, it's just kind of those crashes definitely happen. Um but I think we've we have regained our balance and we're stable again, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. So if you do these things, don't be surprised <laughs> if you find yourself like, you know, having some hard times when you get back. Um, but there's also like last year in particular, the the 14ers you know, there was a stage at which you're like, you know, I just kind of like did my life's goal, right? You just did this thing that you've been fantasizing about for years, and you know, like, like what's next, and who am I, and what do I do next, and how do I achieve happiness like I just experienced again? And you know, I don't want this to be the last time I ever do anything like that. You know, there's all those sorts of um, those emotions that that you know happen. Like once you've um, you know, you get addicted to happiness You want to figure out how to do it over and over again.
2: <laughs> I've read a lot of through hike uh, reports of through hikers, and it just seems like a similar pattern. Once you're done and you're back into life, it's it's hard to adjust to that. You know, it, life is happy. There's happy things, but out there, it's just so different. And yeah, came you know, back to life. I, I've read over and over. It's challenging sometimes. Even yeah. C- you even be depressed or lots of real life things could, you could go through a lot of feelings. It's uh, really got to watch that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I started really digging into flow states after the FKT last year. Um, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi is a, is a philosopher who has written a number of books about flow states and, and also um, Steven Kotler, his book, Mapping Cloud Nine. Um, they're really amazing books that just basically help me solve the puzzle of um, what makes me happy, you know, uh, what triggers flow states and, um, you know, what those keys are. And I realized for sure there's ways of doing it in, in daily life. And, you know, you don't have to have these, these crazy, epic you know, adventures. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways of of finding happiness in daily life, and trying to sort of, you know, hold on to that and and um, and recognizing that is Perfect. important.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we'll probably, as we post the um, podcast episode, we'll want to put some links in there to those uh, those books.
1: Yeah, they're good ones. <laughs>
0: Great, thank you for those. Uh, I know we've got some questions from the audience. So it seems like a good time to move into that. What do you think? Yeah,
3: Jessica, we've got a few, I guess. Our, um, yeah, I have some in our Zoom chat here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and unmute you, Helen, and go ahead and ask Ms. Renee. There you go.
4: Hi. Hi, Helen. I, I think... I would like for you to share some more about the route itself because you told me about the route prior to when, as you were planning but I I still didn't fully understand the magnitude of it, Um, (laughs) the the distance, um, what it really meant to find your own way and just like where you got to go, like to beat that, that altitude, how high up you were for so long. And um, by doing this route, rather than following the John Muir trail or this, um, this Sierra high trail, you tell us about the things you got to see that were special and, and yeah, very few people get to see, right?
1: Yeah. That's the really cool thing about it is there are some times when you're on the John Muir trail Um, just, you know, kind of like linking up these passes along the route, you end up spending some time on the John Muir trail and it's, you know, it's swarming with people. There are people everywhere. Um, and it, it just, you know, I've done the John Muir trail and it's a great experience, but it's, it's a completely different thing to just be in this massive bowl surrounded by these amazing, stunning peaks some of the most, you know, beautiful scenery you can possibly imagine. And you're by yourself, you know, it's, there's no one else. And you don't see anybody, you know, all day long out here. And it's, (laughs) it's just another experience entirely. And there's, there's just the, the cool thing about Roper creating this route is that he um, for one, I I mentioned that it's just a really good link up of some fantastic terrain because there's a lot of terrain that's really obnoxious out there. And so (laughs) just being on, you know, linking up some really nice terrain, having someone figure that puzzle out already is really nice. Um, but just getting to experience, you know, I've done a lot of stuff in the Sierras and you tend to like the, 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 the things that I usually do is like, there's a peak objective and you tend to do the same trail heads over and over again. Like you, you know, you go up the Bishop pass trail, I've done the Bishop Tra- pass trail, you know, 20 times now, and you, you know, go up the trail and then you do a little detour and you hit a peak and then you come back and you go back down the Bishop pass trail. And it's something completely different to just stay up in it, in the high country. Um, you know, you tend to be, it's like, definitely above 8,000 feet. Most of the time, you know, 9,000 feet, 11,000 feet, you're just up there in it. And, uh, something about, you know, traversing through it and seeing it from all these different angles just gives you a completely different experience of the Sierra. And, and of course, you know, trying to figure out where to go exactly (laughs) was something that, um, I've had a little of some experience with, and it, and it maybe is something that, you know, over time you kind of figure out, for example, looking at satellite imagery in in Caltopo, I can see, oh, this looks like some really fantastic slab that I, so I want to, you know, I want to go this line because that'll take me over this really great slab section versus, you know, 50 feet away It looks like tedious talus. And so I want to avoid that stuff, you know, so you can kind of like, I mean, I studied this route, (laughs) like it felt like, you know, every single inch of this route to, um, to figure out the, the most, uh, you know, like the fastest, most efficient, most fun terrain to, to go on, um, and I'm sorry, Helen. I don't know. I lost track of exactly all of the topics that you. No, <laughs> you suggested. Okay. I, I just
4: think that, that <laughs> I, I'm I'm completely captivated by the route, and I've I've started to read Roper's book, and it just it kind of boggles my mind. It just I, I'm I'm excited because now I have years of entertainment and dreaming to do just. <laughs> just to traverse the route at any speed in any form over any number of days or summers, I, I think would be a huge privilege. And so thank you for introducing me to it. Um, Yeah. Can't wait until we're not on fire and we can see it more. <laughs> yeah.
0: That'll be a nice change of pace. <laughs> yeah.
3: Thanks, Helen. And then um, Kelly had a question about nutrition. Go ahead, Kelly.
2: Sure. <laughs> hey, Renee.
3: Hi,
4: Kelly.
0: <laughs> I'd love to say that the fact that when I Googled the route that the Topo map came up first, so I've been sitting here studying it. It's spectacular. I just yeah, unfathomable. It's awesome that you did that. But I think uh, specifically listening to you, listening to Helen, talking to Adam a little bit on nutrition, and especially over over a period of, yeah, Adam, two days, but three to five days and getting through that, what were some of your go-tos to really sort of keep you eating all the way through?
1: Yeah, well, so for me, I know this is a a huge difference between Helen and I. I find that I need a ton of variety. Um, I never really know, like, um, you know, I might be completely turned off by my nut butter and honey sandwich, you know, in the morning. But then in the afternoon, it's like a godsend. So I end up like <laughs> in my trip report, I actually shared my spreadsheet that that um, that shows you exactly what I brought, you know, every single day. Um, and so it's like there is this sweet, you know, um, pork jerky that really hits the spot every once in a while or potato chips covered in sugar or. um my stroop waffles every once in a while or like i i'm really 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 excited about this martin 320 you know liquid calorie powder that you know i can seem to drink all day long um so the list like <laughs> i wouldn't be able to say well maybe maybe the martin i'm i'm probably the most dependent upon my my martin liquid calories right now just because always having calories in, in my bottle that it seems like I can always drink calories and the Martin has a very, very, like, it doesn't have any taste. Basically. I don't know how they do it. And so I don't get fat palate fatigue like you do with a lot of other liquid calories. So, um, if anything, maybe that's the one thing that I can kind of like count on all day long. Um, and yeah, the other than that, it's funny because my list of things that I bring, it's like, you know, one Canterbury gel, you know, one Huma gel, one, um, <laughs> like, you know, one waffle, one peanut butter and honey sandwich. It's just like, I, um, I know that I cannot eat the same thing all day long. And so I have to bring a ton of stuff and against, you know, making sure that I have some fat and protein mixed in there. Um, It's, it's a complicated nutrition plan.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that. I get tired. I get tired of the same foods. I can't do it either.
1: Yeah. Well then maybe you should, Your maybe my spreadsheet would be, you know, exactly what you need. It's like, maybe we'd have the same exact preferences.
2: i'll have to check it out (laughs) (laughs) hey renee is your is your report online and is it up yet are you you so
1: yeah yeah so the link that i sent you guys you can put that on the um okay on the show notes or whatever
4: yeah
2: yeah and that'll that'll have your spreadsheet it's on it's the link to the end so
1: yeah yeah
2: okay
3: awesome Um, Maria had a question about water source and availability while you're out there. Go ahead, Maria. Hi, Renee,
4: thank you so much for sharing your story. Hi, good to have you, Maria. Uh, I was just curious about water sources and how that played into your route planning and if you had any surprises along the way and how just how you worked through that aspect.
1: Yeah, so, the if you look on a map there are a ton of you know year-round water sources that you're just constantly hitting except for one spot between devil's post pile and kind of like the duck lakes region so just basically one dryish leg um unfortunately it seems like in years like we have this year even sources that are marked as year-round you might get to them and like I mean, I found tons of dry lakes and, and dry creeks that are marked as, you know, year-round trail or, or year-round water sources on the map. So luckily um, the, there's, there's enough, you know, other ones that worked out that I didn't end up having a problem. Um, But that's definitely like, well, and this is (laughs) later in the year, this is, this is, usually about peak season for being in the Sierra because like the mosquitoes aren't as bad, you know, the snow has melted. So snow's not a problem, but this year it was a little bit late because, um, because water sources were starting to dry up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. But for sure, if you, like, if you were to do this route, I mean, I, I, I marked a couple spots on the map, like make sure That you fill up in this spot, you know, like it's always good to think about that stuff. Definitely, thank you.
3: Thanks, Maria, that was awesome. And I have one more question from the chat. I have a lot of questions myself, but from other people, um, (laughs) I'm gonna go ahead and unmute. Samantha, she had some questions about the views and maybe any animals that you might have seen. <laughs>
1: Hi,
4: Samantha. Hi, Samantha.
1: Hey. Um, I was just looking through your post, actually, but I did want to hear about if you saw any interesting animals out there. And I was also curious, I missed the first part, but did you ever consider um, doing this with somebody else or was it always
4: you solo the whole time?
1: You know, it's funny. You should ask that. I, a girlfriend of mine, um, I did sort of ask her if she wanted to do it with me, but she wasn't interested in doing it as an FKT. It's sort of, you know, it just is a completely different style and, um, the level of training and everything is, is a completely different commitment. So, um, Yeah. And it's always hard. Like if you're doing it as an FKT, it seems like inevitably somebody is always on a slightly different schedule and the paces kind of don't sync up. So I mean, it's probably better that I ended up doing it by myself, but that was not necessarily, you know, intentional. (laughs) And as far as animals are concerned, (laughs) I, um, I took a picture of almost like every type of animal that I saw so I could like show my son because it's just, you know, it's like He gets excited about, you know, (laughs) all sorts of animals. Um, Nothing too interesting. Deer, marmots, pikas, um, and lots of ptarmigans and grouse. I think that was it. No bear. No bear. All
3: right. And then... um, Elizabeth has just popped in one more question. Let me get her going. If I can unmute. I'm not the IT person, obviously. (laughs) All right, right. go ahead, Elizabeth. Uh,
4: There you go. There I go. Okay. Hey, Renee. It's so good to hear about all this. So, um, somebody wrote on social media, so I have to give credit, that they said, in order to do this, you really have to slay your dragons and know yourself really well in order to be (laughs) out there like running for days on end. So, I wonder if you could say anything about any process that you had for either knowing yourself really well or slaying any dragons that you had to slay in order to do this?
1: Yeah. um, Your brain is probably the most important thing on adventures like this and um not letting it drive you or get out of control is um is a must like it you know there were times when my the little demon on my shoulder was telling me all sorts of things that you know were really um causing problems like You know, you're too tired. It's, you know, you need to get some sleep. You're, it's late. You, you know, what, or, you know, like you really screwed up or, or whatever. So, um, there, I don't know, there's been some training. It's like, you know, (laughs) um, there's been lots of opportunities to recognize that little demon for what he is and figuring out how to make him shut up. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I mean, that's probably the the biggest one for me is just, it's essentially learning how to stay positive and not listen to your negative self-talk. And, um, I think there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of tricks to that, to me, like step one is recognizing it for what it is. And, and then, um, you know, th- that is basically realizing that it is, um, it's false. It's not going to help anything. And, and then, you know, learning how to kind of move on from that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah.
4: It seems like good advice for life in general.
1: Well, yeah, I know because so a lot of those opportunities that I'm talking about are also like dealing with my son, Tyler, you know, like um, it, well, and, and just, yeah, All day long, you're, I mean, you don't have to be pushing yourself in the mountains for five days to, to, you know, have little demons talking badly about yourself that you shouldn't be listening to. Yeah.
4: Mm -hmm. Was there ever a time though, where you had to think like, okay, I do have physiological needs and like balancing, you know, meeting those needs versus like, am I? listening to a demon that's telling me to stop too soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the amazing thing is that, you know, like, um, research has shown that we are so much, we are capable of so much more, like Mm -hmm. basically it's the brain that usually tells people when they shut down. Mm -hmm. And so if you can manage to, um, either convince your brain that you're not ready to shut down or stop paying attention to those signals, you can actually push yourself so much harder than you think. Hmm. And like one of the tricks that I rely on heavily is listening to music when I'm starting to feel a lot of fatigue, and that one has been shown to be a uh, that's one's that one has been tested and and shown to be a huge performance boost and I feel it for sure like when i'm like i i used it a couple of times where I was you know really tired in the middle of the night and um and you know, some it's just magic. Like my put my music on, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm feeling a lot more peppier. Yeah.
4: Awesome! <laughs> Thanks. That's great advice.
0: I think that Thank that so wraps much. up our our audience. Is that right, Jessica? Yep. That's good. Uh, Mike, you all set? All right. Well, yeah. And Renee, yeah, that's, that's really um, interesting advice about the music. I never run with music and I did a long solo run this past weekend and I was looking for some inspiration towards the end. So I may have to try that at some point.
1: Yeah, I totally, like I, I don't always use it, but a lot, but usually when I do, it's like the last three miles, Mm. you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. That critical bit. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Well, uh, I just want to thank you so much for spending this time with us Um, and everybody with the audience questions. I think last, uh, you know, every time we get together we always have some great audience questions, some great insights here. And uh, yeah, hopefully we all learned something. I know I did. And as Mike uh, said early on, like we always like to get inspired out of these these gatherings and just see everybody's faces. And I, I really feel like we did tonight. So thanks a lot for sharing your story the mental, the physical, the planning, all that is just really good information.
1: You know, it was great to have the opportunity to talk to you guys. So thank you.
0: All right. Well, everybody, uh, thanks again for joining. Uh, we'll be posting as we do a podcast episode. Um, we'll have a lot of show notes in there. We've got a lot of great references. I think that we can include this week for people who are interested in planning any size adventure, uh, maybe some, uh, some food spreadsheets and some other things to help us out and figure, figure out what we need to do when we're out there on our own. Um, and again, just, uh, if you're in Auburn, take a little visit down to the Auburn aid station. I'm sure they'd love to see you and you can visit them at auburnaidstation.com. Thanks again. And, uh, we will see you again soon. Bye-bye.